Welcome back to your tech report. Welcome back to your tech report. Normally with Mitchell Whitfield and Marco Flalo, but Mitchell is, uh, we can't find Mitchell today, so it's just going to be me solo, but I have a special guest on the line with us. Uh, Daniel Rubino is the executive di- uh, editor, sorry, the executive editor of Windows Central. Uh, Daniel, thank you for being here. We appreciate you spending the time with us this week. Thank you for having me. Now, there's a special reason you're on here, not only obviously to promote Windows Central, but you were at Microsoft's big unveiling, Surface unveiling this week, and you've got lots of insight to tell us about it. First of all, how was the event overall? I, I think off air, the word you use is overwhelming, right? Yeah, so one of the interesting things about their Surface events, which almost always happen around October 2nd, is the team is very focused on changing up the event every year. So we almost don't know what we're getting into. So this year was very different. They invited a bunch of like hardcore Surface fans to the event, and they got priority seating in front of the stage. Oh wow! Also a couple, yeah. There's also a couple um, special guests, like Bradley Cooper was there, and Trevor Noah from The Daily Show. Um, and for some reason, they're friends with Panos Panay and the Surface team. I don't know the story behind that, but um, yeah, it was a it was a pretty large event. One the lar- we were saying weeks ago, this is going to be the biggest event since 2015, when they first showed off Surface Book and a bunch and launched a bunch of products there. Uh, we haven't really seen this push in many years, and so I knew this year was going to be kind of different for them. You know what's kind of interesting is that we, we I think a, a lot of us tech journalists, we talk about the, the good old days of, of that first iPhone unveil when social media wasn't the way it is today or really didn't exist, quite honestly, the way it was mm-hmm. today. Therefore, it was so much easier to keep secrets, right? And, sure. and, and with the supply chains the way they are today, it's really it's, it's a very difficult task to keep things locked down. So when a company comes out and does surprise you with products, it's so refreshing. Refreshing. It's so it makes you smile end to end because it's like, wow, we really didn't expect that. And that is so cool. And that's the feeling I got out of this event, because those two, you know, two two screen devices, which we'll get into in a second. Really, I mean, I think we could have predicted that they were going to show their face one day. But was right. was this time the day we expected it? Yeah, I mean, we so we've been expecting these devices for a few years now, but we were even caught by surprise. We had predicted everything up until the Neo, which we'll talk <laughs> about, the uh, dual-screen PC. Uh, but when they showed that phone, it kind of – we had bits of those rumors, but we didn't put them all together, and that was a really big surprise. And, and Pano has talked about that. He said, I've been reading the leaks. I've been reading your sites. He's like, you guys are doing your jobs. I get it. But he was still able to, even after all that – uh, still able to surprise us, and that was generally satisfying because I agree. Uh, in the day and age, you know, like Google's having their event in a couple of days, and what are they going to talk about that we don't know? Well, the, I mean, the, you know, they, they might as well just make fun of it, uh, you know, like Phil Schiller did a couple of years ago when we all knew about, right. like, what well, the iPhone 4, I think, at that point in time. Uh, before we dive into the products, tell, tell me about Windows Central for a minute because, you know, I, I've been, you know, using Windows mobile devices for a very long time, uh, back in the day when it was, like, the Palm Trio and stuff like that. And you guys have been around for a very long time. So tell us and tell our audience what you guys do. Yeah, so we actually started years ago under the banner of WM Experts, Windows Mobile Experts, because that was the time when Windows Mobile was around, and that was the PDA days. And it was was sort of when everything was starting to change over. You know, the iPhone was coming out, and so Windows Mobile, though, was still a big deal in terms of the Trio and BlackBerry being its biggest competitors, along with some stuff from Nokia. And so... We started off then, we started off as forums at first, just support forums where people can go and talk about the products. And then we eventually launched a blog role, what they were called back then. And then I got picked up as a writer because I was, I was very active in the forums. I just did it as a hobby. And then we just kind of grew from there. Eventually, then we turned to Windows Phone Central, 
once Microsoft came out with Windows Phone 7. That was their response to the iPhone, of course, and at that point, Android was still pretty new, too. And so we kind of grew from there. And then I believe it was around, uh, I think it was 2014, we changed to just Windows Central and dropped the phone. By then, the story for phone had been starting to wane a little bit, and the struggle was real. But at the same time, Microsoft was expanding its range with Windows 10, which came out in 2015, uh, with this sort of grand vision of technology where everything sort of works together. So we flowed with the times. And because of that, we survived once Windows Phone finally did you know, get axed and really started to decline in 2016. We've been growing ever since because we started covering Xbox more heavily, Windows 10, laptops, PCs, HoloLens, and that whole ecosystem. So it's been a very interesting ride. I've been doing this for almost 10 years now. Uh, so it's uh, a, lot, a lot has changed. So, so tell me something. Let's dive into some of the products. And I, and I want to start with the Surface Pro 7 because, um, you know, this we kind of expected or I expected this product to get some kind of redesign. And I think we're seeing that, obviously, in the, in the Surface Pro X. Um, but in terms of the, the Pro 7, largely unchanged other than that USB-C port. Yep. Yeah, so the Surface Pro 7 uh, has Gen Intel chips. It has now fast charging through the Surface Connect port. It can go from 0 to 80% in under an hour which is very impressive, and they replaced mini display with a USB Type-C 3.1 jack, and it lacks Thunderbolt 3, and, uh, you know, I've there's a couple reasons for that. One of them is they wanted to have just parity across their entire line, uh, explaining why one device has the same jack but has Thunderbolt 3, but why an AMD laptop doesn't, or why some other, or something like the Surface Pro X doesn't, it gets complicated. So they just kept it you know, pretty simple. That said, I'm on the side that I'll always take Thunderbolt 3 if you give it to me. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a great technology. That said, what most people are looking for is a universal port that can also power displays, that can recharge the device, that can charge your device. And so they delivered there. So I'm pretty happy with it. In terms of the redesign, the rumors suggest that's not going to happen until the 2020 version. And that segues nicely to the Surface Pro X, which did get sort of what I expect to be the redesign for the Surface Pro series. Surface yeah, of Pro course. In 2020. Um, and Surface Pro X, you know, is the new Windows on ARM device that we've been hoping for for a long time. And the reason I think it got that really cool slick design with the micro bezels on the side and everything else was because uh, they wanted to sort of push that, right? So when you see that device next to a Surface Pro 7, you're like, oh, that new one, though, looks great. Yeah, of course. And they kind of, I think, want you to do that and consider buying that so it can sort of grow the ARM ecosystem. And then next year, you know, if you really still want the Intel version, that will come out. No, I mean, let's get a little geek talky here, but let's talk about ARM versus Intel here because uh, I think we have to take the comparison. We have to look at Apple for a second and understand that, you know, they're using Intel chips on their Mac, but on their iPad line and their phone line, they've been designing their own chips that, quite honestly, people have been having a hard time trying to keep up with those chips. Like, we, we have yet to see, yeah, we've yet to see those chips really compete against a desktop world, but there are some people out there who say that these uh, can not only compete, but they can almost surpass what some of the Intel desktop chips are doing. Are, are we going to see the same thing on this ARM, this new Microsoft and, and Qualcomm, you know, design here? Yeah, so I have a theory about where computing has sort of been going for the last few years. I think Apple knows this, Microsoft knows this, and I think Google probably knows this too, which is sort of there's a bifurcation going on. There's this idea that you still need, for a lot of people, 
engineers, architects, hardcore gaming, CAD, you need a laptop that's just powerful, right? So that's why the Dell XPS 15, you can get a Core i9, yeah. a GTX, you know, uh, 1650 in it. That thing is just a monster. And it's properly laptop. cooled. Let's just put that out there, okay? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, and so you can, you can still get that. For some people, like, they need that power because they're like, my job requires that. But then you have a lot of people that look at laptops and still have an old laptop, and they fire it up to use Office, email, uh, the web, maybe watch some Netflix, maybe listen to Spotify, uh, use Skype, and maybe a Teams or Slack app, right? And for them, that's carrying around a you know four-pound laptop to do that, which their phone kind of does already, doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's where people get sort of confused. That's why they, they love using their phone up to a point where they want to use a laptop. So the other end of this, instead of the, the bigger, heavier, powerful machines, is this sort of thin client computing. And that's where I really see ARM having a big role here. What people want, I think people have been saying for a while, they want the flexibility of a Surface Pro, but they want the instant on and the long battery life of an iPad Pro. And ARM for Microsoft is kind of does that. So this chip is the Snapdragon 8CX. They call it the SQ1. And there's a little bit of marketing speak there, but what they basically did was clock the 8CX chip slightly higher. And for those who don't know, the HCX is a custom-made chip by Qualcomm specifically made for Windows PCs. Uh, it's their fastest chip they ever made. And this version is even faster. It actually clocks at 3 gigahertz. It also has now a more powerful GPU that they custom-made for the Surface Pro X. So all of this gives you longer battery life, but also a thinner chassis. So this is their, it's slightly, uh, it's about 1.68 pounds, uh, which is uh, about 10.10 pounds lighter than the Surface Pro 7. So it's, it's lighter, it's thinner, and it gets better battery life. And it never sleeps. And that's always been an issue that people hate with Windows machines, where you turn it back on, it's been asleep for a couple hours, you get to watch that little logo screen, and it comes back. <laughs> meanwhile, the iPad, you just hit a button, boom, it's back on. So do you so think do you think that. it's fair, you know, because well, here's what's going to happen is because it's running a version of Windows, okay, um, yep. people are going to inevitably compare the Surface Pro X with the desktop class, you know, or the laptop class, Surface Pro 7, or even the Surface laptops. But that's not sure. really fair, is it? No, I mean, there, but there are ways with, you know, uh, Geekbench and a couple of other systems out there, including uh, PCMark, do have benchmarks that... So the issue here is the emulation layer versus running native. So obviously the Surface Pro X runs almost all Windows software. It runs UWP, it runs Win32 apps, but the Win32 stuff will be in an emulation layer. The performance, though, is supposedly equivalent to an 8th generation Core i5 processor. So there is like a way to sort of think about the performance here in regards to other technology. Now, we have to obviously benchmark it and try it ourselves, but that's the expectation. I saw when... Snapdragon, uh, sorry, when Qualcomm announced this chip, and I've used it since, it running full Photoshop in an emulated scenario. And all this means that emulated, you don't see that. It just runs like an app. Um, it's just what's happening underneath the system. But it ran really, really well. In fact, it ran so well, we had to ask, was this compiled natively for ARM, or is this emulated? They're like, no, that's the emulation layer. So they made, just like Apple, they made a lot of progress in improving ARM. And I'm, one, I'm on the side that ARM is the future for a lot of these devices because it does bring everything we want. That said, Intel is definitely not resting on their laurels. With the 10th generation stuff and Project Athena, they're definitely trying to improve all those same areas as well to compete with Qualcomm.
In case you're just tuning in, we're talking to Daniel Urbino, executive editor of Windows Central. So, Daniel, other than, of course, obviously Surface Pro 7 and, of course, the Surface uh, Pro uh, X, I I keep using the word 10 in my head, damn iPhone speak, Um, laptops got an overhaul. We got Surface Laptops 3. Um, Break us through those models. Yeah, so laptop three, uh, the 13-inch basically got a you know minor refresh. Uh, the one, the big news is the Alcantara cloth top <laughs> is, is now an option. So you can actually buy versions with it or versions without it. Otherwise, you just get an all aluminum body. Okay. That obviously is more durable. I actually do prefer Alcantara, but I recognize there are some issues if you get the platinum version that can stain after a little while. The darker colors, though, like cobalt, uh, tend to look much better longer on. But the bigger news, of course, is going to be the Surface Laptop 3 15-inch is now out. And so that version, we haven't had a 15-inch. It's slightly larger. It's not that much heavier. But what they did this time was switch over to AMD graphics and as a chipset. And that's a big deal. And this sort of threads the needle for the whole story of what Microsoft is trying to do, which is sort of spread the love around for all its chip makers and partners. So they're doing Intel, they're working with Qualcomm, they're working with AMD. AMD's had a little tough time breaking to the laptop market with this Ryzen series. They're doing pretty well in desktop and gaming, but laptop, they're struggling. So this sort of, again, validates using AMD in a laptop. It's basically a uh, Ryzen 7 or Ryzen 5 chip, and they do have Vega graphics. And it's a little custom. It's not a custom chip. I know Microsoft kind of said that. We describe it as customized because what it did was take existing hardware and just slightly modify it, increase the frequencies, add a core for the GPU. So it's slightly better than what any other OEM could do, but it's not going to be like night and day difference either. I watched an interview with uh, Satya Nadella, and he was saying that um, the reason they're doing the hardware, it's not about just building hardware because everybody can build hardware, but it's about setting a bar at a certain level so that their manufacturers and their partners can, can I guess, yearn to be at some, uh, interest, at a level like that, which is interesting because he also said that they, they're taking risks that other people necessarily wouldn't take the same risks, and it's their responsibility to do so. These risks are paying off, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, so I always tell this funny story about HP, which, you know, they've been making laptops forever, but up until about 2015, like I, I did not like HP laptops. I thought they were kind of terrible. Uh, I just didn't like the designs. They're big. They're ugly. And then something happened. They created what's called the Spectre X360 13-inch. They worked in partnership with Microsoft on the design and some of the technology behind that. And I remember first getting that device. They gave it out to developers at Build, and I was truly blown away. I was like, wow, this is HP? Like, this is nice. Since then... HP, Dell, Lenovo, in my opinion, are they're all just firing on all cylinders. All their, what's neat about it is in the industry, like if you look at an HP laptop today and a Lenovo and a Dell, there are, they're totally not similar. They all look dramatically different. From yeah. each other. They all have their own design language. They all have their pros and cons, but they're all just really, really good. I have a tough time now recommending them, uh, you know, one over the other, I should say. Uh, and this is that halo effect at the surface team is created they have set the bar and i tell you man like hp they're just they're doing excellent audio now excellent displays lenovo too lenovo laptops are hilarious because the thinkpad x1 series were always super slick and super light the audio and the displays were always terrible it was always an afterthought the thing was it was like do business users really need to have nice displays or good speakers and as it turns out the workforce has changed the workforce now wants a single laptop that they can use for consumer and commercial 
at the same time and enjoy it. And so that's the response we're seeing. Can we talk, let's go back to AMD for a second, because, you know, uh, of course, you know, events come out and there's so many YouTube videos out there. There's so many people reviewing these devices and talking about them. And I've noticed that whenever somebody mentions the whole AMD aspect of this 15-inch model, they're kind of like questioning it. And I don't think that's necessarily fair, because how do you compare AMD versus Intel? And and if you were to put them side by side, what would you compare the the new chips in the 15-inch to? Would it be the, the... 10th generation Intel, Core i9s, i7s, like where does it fall into that category? Probably the Core i7. Uh, it is a tough thing, and Microsoft is pretty clear about this. They're like, yeah, this laptop is two and a half times faster than Surface Laptop 2, but he says, like, we never did a 15-inch Surface Laptop with Intel, so it's hard How do you to compare, compare directly. Yeah. So the, people have to understand it. Although the 15-inch isn't dramatically larger, it's every little inch matters if you're an engineer designing these systems because that extra space gives them extra thermal headspace and allows the chip to run at a higher clock rate for longer durations without throttling. And it absolutely matters. And, you know, so the 15 inch is going to perform better because it basically has more thermal headroom to do that. That's the benefit of having larger, thicker laptops. Um, That said, what was, what came out after the event was there actually is a surface laptop, 15 inch running Intel. Ah, and so that's only available, though, for commercial customers who need vPro. And so this is a big deal. If you deploy IT and deploy a lot of devices, yes. vPro, and having those Intel systems is actually very valuable. And you see this a lot with the commercial line of laptops. They give them a choice. So in theory, we could pick up a Surface Laptop 15 Intel and directly compare it. My hunch, the AMD will do better on graphics due to the integrated Vega system, Vega 11, that should be the Iris uh, Plus system that's now in the Intel 10th gen. In terms of raw clock speed, though, I imagine they're probably pretty similar, and battery life is you know, going to be up in the air depending on how you use the systems. So we, we've talked about Surface laptops. We've talked about, obviously, Surface Pro 7. Um, let's talk about these dual-screen devices. Now, uh, for people who listen to the show or listen to the you know the podcast over this, I've been saying ever since Samsung came out with the Fold or announced the Fold and, and Huawei came out with that Mate X that we haven't, seen in our hands yet uh, i'm like why are people worrying about these you know plastic flimsy screens that fold just give us two really nice screens with a very thin bezel and that's all people care about you know be able to you know seamlessly we use two monitors with with bezels around it so why not do the same thing in a portable device and that's basically what microsoft did and thank god they look sexy yeah so we've been we started covering this back in 2016 we started hearing rumors that they were working on a dual screen foldable device basically and you can even go back further than that yeah. you can actually go back to 2009 with the courier concept which always they basically it never materialized but uh one of the pr people from microsoft said that we we put it on the shelf basically so they also planted a seed was, really right at that point just by just by right. mentioning it they could now take claim that you know what well, we were talking about this a long time ago guys <laughs> absolutely yeah if you go back and look at the original courier uh photos and concepts it's it's amazing. But, you know, back in 2009, you know, shoehorning all this technology into it, I don't think would have worked. But in 2019 and 2020, yeah, you could definitely do this stuff. So there were uh, we started hearing actually initially rumors around this device called Andromeda. It was an internal project. It was a smaller device, and it was basically a phone that was going to have dual screens and fold up. And we heard it was going to run Windows and that Microsoft was going to position this not to, you know, not competing directly with your smartphone today, but going to, it was 
you know, jumping ahead of what Nadella calls, you know, going ahead of the curve. So in technology, there's always, we're on a straight line, slab, smartphones, that's where everybody is right now. He's trying to look where the technology is going and get there first, help define that. Because when Microsoft tries to catch up, they don't do well. If they try to define the category, they have a better chance. So we've been following Andromeda for a few years. And then within the last about 12 months, we heard Andromeda had been shelled. And instead, they're going to do a larger version first. And the idea internally was make that version. And then if it still you know gets popular and all that, we'll maybe do a smaller one. And that kind of made some sense. But we were actually wrong on that. So what actually happened was it sounds like the Windows team got pulled off of Andromeda. And instead, a new Android group was formed, and they turned it into an Android device. So this project had been – the hardware had been in works for about three years, but the software changed within the last year. And so that's the Surface Duo, the smaller one. It's a 8.3-inch display in total size. It's around 5-inch for each display. I actually did get to handle and play with it. It's absolutely immaculate hardware. Yeah. I've also played with the Samsung Fold and Mate X. And those are also nice hardware, but this is a different level. This feels like a glass and metal passport. And it's actually smaller than I thought it was. Like when it folds, it's only, I think, about uh, 4.83 millimeters thin. It's actually very, very thin. But you can totally imagine putting this into your pocket. And when you open that screen, um, it's some of the best hardware they've created yet. It's just absolutely just gorgeous. Um, stepping back to what we heard internally was called Centaurus. That's the Surface Neo. So this is a larger device. It's 13.1 inches for screen real estate, not two 9-inch displays. And this runs Windows 10X. And some people are, you know, they're saying it's a new version of the operating system. It's not what it is. For years, Microsoft has been trying to um, modular, I always have trouble saying this word. Modularize. Modularize (laughs) uh, the operating system for Windows 10. That is to be able to pull out components and put them in other systems. HDR and Xbox is a good example of this. They made HDR and Xbox, and they took that component, and they brought it over to Windows 10. And they can only do that because they've been separating out components in the operating system. All Windows 10 X is is a version of Windows 10 that has the Win32 system. Now it's called a subsystem, and it runs as a container. So it's still there, but it's not running if you don't need it. So the OS itself is not Win32 anymore. That's the legacy desktop stuff that works great on a 27-inch monitor, not so much on a small foldable tablet. And so, but it's there. So if you do run a classic app on this system, it'll kick in and you'll be running a Win32 system. When you close that app, it goes away. It removes resources, RAM, battery power, all that is now saved. So it's a pretty brilliant system. The other thing they did was create a custom UI that's made for dual screen devices. And that's super important because if you just put Windows 10 on this, Okay, that's kind of cool, but how many of you you know think it's awesome to run a desktop OS on this thing? So instead, they have a new UI layer, much simple, much more simple. Uh, it's cleaner looking. It's everything that we know from their fluid design system, uh, but it's made for dual screens. And so you combine that software story with this brand new hardware, and you create you know a pretty amazing device. Uh, it has a flip keyboard that's held on by magnets. Yeah, that's really that cool. Sounds like. Yeah, and it sounded like it would be flimsy, but I got to try it, and it's like it's totally like magic how it works. It's really <laughs> bizarre. So it sticks to the back, but then you just you can flip it with one finger, and it flips around and then sticks to the screen. And now it's a full-on keyboard uh, that you can use, and then you can slide it up, and then it creates a trackpad using the display. Um, 
I mean, it's pretty bananas technology. They've yeah. been thinking this is something they've been thinking about, like I said, for three, four years now. Uh, but it's finally coming to fruition. But they're very, they're very much aware that in order for all this to work, it has to be a good experience. You, like I said, you can't just put windows on this. It has to be a good experience. That's why it's been taking so long. Now, do you think that they, they're, you know, they're they're introducing this and, uh, you know, teasing a, a year away delivery? I mean, almost more than a year. Is it because they need developers to get on board in this, or is there another reason there? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a bit of both. So one, they, I think they didn't want leaks to happen and this stuff to come out. I mean, we'd already like said been reporting on it for almost three years, so yeah. we knew it was there and happening. I think they wanted to get the story out there. They definitely do want to bring developers on there. So this isn't a case where. Uh, apps don't run on it if developers don't do anything. That's not what happens at all. What they want, though, is for developers to really take advantage. So the example they give is you can run Outlook on a single panel on, say, the left screen, and if you open an email and it has a link, that link automatically opens up on the second panel, which is the expected behavior. But developers will need to tweak their app to basically take advantage of that and really make it, again, <laughs> if it didn't do that, it's fine. You could still run Outlook. You kind of get it to a to, uh, you know, dual screens. But if devs take advantage of the dual screens, the experience for the user is dramatically different. And this isn't just sort of like pontificating. They actually did, this is, I used to do neuro research. I was actually doing a PhD years ago. And I found it fascinating. They had these uh, research labs on campus. They call it the Human Development Lab. And they actually use uh, EEGs, electroencephalography, uh, hair nets that basically go on people's heads and they can measure brain waves and activity. And they tested dual screen devices, uh, foldable single screen devices, or just single screen devices, and gave people workloads, basically tasks to do. And they measured the cognitive load. And it turns out dual screen devices not only had a higher rating for satisfaction, but was also a cognitively lower load workload for the user, meaning they had to think less oh. in order to complete a task. So they had a lot of science behind this idea of uh, a dual screen device versus what you were talking about earlier, a single large screen that folds. Uh, I mean, I never really thought about the signs behind it, but that's that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to obviously getting getting hands-on with all this stuff. It would be really cool to actually experience. I find that the the Neo is actually going to, you know, going back to our conversation before the break, we had talked about kind of those casual users who use, you know, works, you know, spreadsheets and can use the, the Surface, you know, Pro X as a lighter machine. But I could see people maybe leaning towards the Neo as, as replacing that even as the even smaller, more compact portable device. Yeah, the uh, the Neo is super fascinating. Like the 13-inch tablet folds. It's much more compact. It, it feels like a piece of art, too. Again, it's glass and metal uh, glass. And it, what's really neat, it's a 365-degree hinge, so it folds both ways. So you can get a single tablet experience with just a 9-inch display, 9-inch tablet. You can use it on the airplane, read an e-book, or you can fold it out, and now you got a dual display. You can then flip it and get what's called composer mode with the keyboard. And you don't need the physical keyboard. It has a software keyboard, too. Um, and so it gives you this different modality of experience. But, yeah, if you think about how people use light computing, say you're in the office, you can take notes using OneNote. You can record the audio, uh, physically write notes. You can then take a photo and put it into there. Then you can send it off because it does have LCE built in. And so you can use this in many different ways. And it's, you know, people, we've all seen Westworld. We all saw that tri-fold computer thing that they carry around with us. And it kind of clicks with people that, like, that should be kind of the future. And that's sort of where Microsoft is going with all this. So, um, you know, for myself, yeah, I totally see this as being useful when I cover events. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and for students would definitely you know value this. Now, I should also clarify that whatever Microsoft releases will be super expensive for the Neo. It, I'm not. It's going to be. That's the way it always is. That said, HP, Lenovo, Dell, and Asus are also committed to making this form factor. We already saw Lenovo. They do have an actual single folding device. We saw it this summer. That's going to be running Windows 10X. So all these manufacturers who would come out their own version of this and at lower price points, some will do things better than what Microsoft is doing. Some will be worse. But this is the, again, what Surface Pro did years ago to try to push this new category forward. I remember covering Surface Pro, Surface Pro 2, and Surface Pro 3. The tech media laughed at it. They said this will never work. This yeah. is stupid. It's a gimmick. Floppy keyboard. And now look at today. <laughs> and now here we are today. It's an accepted form factor. In fact, it's becoming one of the main form factors. So they're trying to literally do the same thing again by pushing the industry forward. And that's why the Microsoft Surface team actually exists. You know, I, and I'm sure you'll agree with the statement, but, you know, applaud, you know, my hands are out to Microsoft for really pushing pushing the envelope here because it's going to force everybody else, as we talked about, you know, all the way to the Amazons and the Apples of the world to really step up their game and really kind of push the boundaries of what can be done and maybe take some risks that we haven't seen in quite some time. Yeah, I think people need to realize that we're in a huge transition period for technology. There's a lot of money and capital flowing in. You know, I mean, I remember years ago, 2006, 2005, at a trio. It was two, three years before you got hardware updates. Yeah. Just, there was no one, you know, there's no innovation going on. It just wasn't the money or market. Now there's the market. But we're also in this weird area where they can do things they couldn't do before. For instance, we had Courier Concepts in 2009. Ten years later, it's now becoming a reality. Uh, being able to shoehorn LTE into these devices and still get, you know, great battery life while running dual displays, that wasn't possible back in 2009. But the manufacturing precision with, you know, CNC and everything has just really changed the whole dynamic. Uh, going again back to 2000, I've got my first LCD display. It had like a couple dead pixels in it. That was normal. That was actually acceptable. Unless it had like five or so, it had more than seven dead pixels. Uh, you could return it. If it was less than seven, that's just... <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And, and now it's like, well, they solved that problem, right? Now, like, when was the last time someone gets a dead pixel on a smartphone, right? Or a laptop? Uh, I had a Surface Pro years ago had a dead pixel. Like, I mean, this was an issue, but they solved it. So we're living in this amazing age where people are rethinking computing. And it's also the technology is coming there to allow those vision, visions to happen. I keep telling people about the smartphone. It's like, how we use smartphones today is very different than how they were conceived of. For instance, in 2007, when the iPhone landed, making phone calls was the primary point of a smartphone. <laughs> in 2019, that's maybe at best a tertiary use of a smartphone. It's all texting, messaging, it's web, it's cameras. Um, and that's why when you look at something like Surface Duo, you're like, oh, making phone calls seems a little bit more problematic or tougher. You have to pull it out and open it up, right? Um, but then again, how many times are you getting calls these days anyway? So um, it's rethinking the concept of what mobile computing is in this world that we're living now. How would you redefine that? And so that's what they're trying to do. Daniel Rubino, executive editor of Windows Central. Uh, guys, check out Windows Central and, and follow Daniel right now. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I, a great conversation. I hope to have you on again. Lots of really cool stuff upcoming, and uh, I'm glad that you were here. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. 
Daniel Rabino, executive editor of Windows Central. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Your Tech Report. Check us out online, yourtechreport.com, and uh, we will see you again next week. You've been tuned in to Your Tech Report. Be sure to follow Your Tech Report online. Email us, contact at yourtechreport.com. Follow us on Twitter at Your Tech Report. Like us on facebook.com slash yourtechreport. For the latest in breaking tech news and reviews, yourtechreport.com. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.